Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. I'm Tony, and today is episode 93 of the podcast, and I get to sit down with, get this, liturgical missiologist. Really, he's an author, a pastor, a speaker, and a great guy. His name is Winfield Bevins, and you're going to love his new book, Living Room Liturgy. We talk about the impact of COVID on the family, about the marks of a movement. We talked about ever ancient, ever new, healthy rhythms for your family. So many great things to dive into on how to bring a little bit of liturgy into your home, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit, you know, moving closer in the faith. As always, uh, the best compliment you can give us is to share this episode with a friend. Uh, Leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help get the word out. And if you haven't yet, hit the subscribe button right now. Subscribing is such a huge help. It really makes a big difference. As always, uh, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to let me know. I can be found on Instagram at TWMilt or at reclamationpodcast.com. Now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Winfield Bevins. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to have uh, Winfield Bevins with me. Winfield, how are you, sir? Hey, doing well, doing well. It's good to be here with you. Excited to have the conversation today. Yeah, now you're um, you're recording from Asbury, which is home of the second best United Methodist Seminary in the world after United Theological Seminary. Is that right? Y- you know, I, I hear the rumor. <laughs> um, yeah, you can neither confirm nor deny it. Hey, I, I love I love the I love the crew up there at United for sure. Now, uh, explain to everybody what you do at um, at Asbury because you have a very interesting position there, and and it really facilitates a lot of the work that we're going to talk about today. Well, it's really interesting. My, you know, my kids ask me all the time, like, "Daddy, what do you do actually?" And I, I just, you know, I, I tell them I, I I talk to a lot of people. Um, I do a lot of networking. Um, so my, I'm the director of church planting at Asbury Seminary, and so Asbury is a global seminary. It's um, mm. You know, we've got students from around the world and and it's a interdenominational, even though it has a strong kind of Wesleyan Methodist heritage. I think there's over 140 denominations represented. Um, and so the last, for instance, last six years, uh, just in my program alone, we've trained close to a thousand leaders in 20 different nations. Um, and so it's just been a wild kind of ride. Um and so, yeah, so we do church planning, but I also do courses um, in, in worship and prayer. Um, and so kind of kind of my heart is kind of recovering kind of Christian practices and spiritual formation um, for for the sake of just everyday Christian living, discipleship and mission. Yeah, I, I think that is so critical. One of the things that we say around here a lot is that if you're not if you're not dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. Mm, and, yeah. and that feels very on brand with what, um, what you're talking about here. So I'm, I'm curious as we jump into this, what are some of your daily disciplines? I always love to ask people, right? What do you, what are yeah. your daily disciplines? What are the things that you have to do in order, uh, in order to be, um, the best you that you can be? Yeah, I, you know, one of the things, and I've written on this, uh, a number of, of, of little books and resources is just practicing the daily office, um, morning and evening prayer, rhythms of prayer, you know, as you kind of dig into the treasure chest of church history, you see that the church has had these rhythms and patterns that have formed and made disciples throughout the ages. And one of the challenges of our contemporary modern Christian context, especially in North America, yeah is we have no rhythms. You know, we've lost our practices. And uh, especially among evangelicals, charismatics, you know, non-denom, low church, you know, those coming from back, you know, backgrounds that don't have liturgical frameworks. They've got Jesus. They've got the Bible. Maybe they have the Holy Spirit, um, but <laughs> they don't have the, the frameworks and practices. And we are creatures of habit. Um, yeah. you know, I, I call practices essentially holy habits. These are, mm. you know, we are what we do and what, how we, what we practice on a regular basis. And especially in the middle of COVID and the pandemic is all, everyone's rhythms have, they've lost their rhythms. And, um, and so I think 
daily office is absolutely key for me. Morning and evening prayer, you know, there are these rhythms that are super helpful. The end of the day, practicing the daily examine, which which is basically it's a reflective practice at the end of the day where you kind of go through your day and you invite the Holy Spirit to come and guide you um, and, and show you things that, you know, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you left undone, maybe things you need to fix or, or make right. And, and then you just give those back to God and you're able to kind of end your day in a reflective way and hand over to God your struggles, your successes, and you're able to sleep well at night <laughs> knowing that you've given to the Lord, you know, your, your day. So th- those are a couple of just uh, some things that have been staples for me over the past few years. Now let's let's dive into this because I love to get kind of nitty gritty on practical stuff. When you talk about the daily offices, uh, kind of explain to all of our friends listening what that is, and then how how does that um, how does that work? Um, because one of the pushbacks I hear a lot about practices, liturgical practices, or or um, kind of pre written out practices is, man, you're you're cutting out the room for the Holy Spirit, but yeah. yet I know you to be a pretty charismatic yeah. guy. Yeah. Right. And full yeah. of the Holy Spirit. So help me um, help yeah. me merge those things together for somebody who may not be deep into this world. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't know if a lot of your listeners are coming from the Methodist world or just kind of Methodish Methodish. <laughs> well, so let me begin with, you know, I tell Methodists and Wesleyans, John Wesley was an Anglican. Yeah. And Wesley, you know, a lot of times we focus on a lot of people look at the explosive growth of early Methodism. They look at the movemental dynamics, but what shaped and formed the, 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 the heart and the spirituality behind that was practices exactly what we're talking about. John and Charles Wesley practiced the daily office and essentially what is the daily office? This is a historic framework of, of prayers that can help shape us in the word um, setting aside time in the morning, maybe noon there, you know, there's multiple hours of the day that you can pray. But what I've found is morning and evening prayer are two really nice rhythms that really work for me and most people. Um, and one of the things that I've done with Seedbed is I, I put together a little, it's just a contemporary daily office called the Field Guide to Daily Prayer. And it's a cardboard cover little book. It has sold tens of thousands of copies. Mm. Churches buy them up and they hand them out like Baptist tracks. Like they're, <laughs> I love I'm, like, I'm like, so prayer in your church, church plants will hand them out. It's a great, it's a great little introduction. And the way I tell people is, is this stuff, it, it provides us with a framework, a structure, not a straight jacket. So again, I, mm. I, I call myself a charismatic with a seatbelt. Um, uh, but but these little liturgies, if you will, these little frameworks for prayer actually help us go deep. And, and using some of these written prayers that have been prayed throughout the history of the church can really enhance and just come alongside our spontaneous, free, kind of spirit-filled prayers. So I, I, I don't see it as an either-or. I see these as like frameworks, structures that help us um, and undergird the rest of our prayer life, if you will. So typical, how long does it take to go through the daily office? Yeah, the daily office, essentially, you know, you kind of open up, usually there's scripture reading, um, you know, there's a prayer, you know, psalm reading, you know, you could follow a full-blown lectionary plan. I'm, 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 you know, I'm not legalistic when it comes to this by any stretch of the imagination, uh, oftentimes there will be a prayer of confession, you know, where yeah. you just come to the Lord and just kind of, uh, you know, ask the Lord to clean your heart. You know, again, the other thing that I, I like to remind people is many of these prayers are the same prayers that John Wesley and others have prayed. These were normative prayers for them. Um, and, and then the Lord's prayer is really a staple, you know, for, for me that I, I pray with my family, my children, Prior to coming to Asbury, we just really encouraged everybody in the church to really make that a prayer that you pray throughout the day. And um, it, it's a prayer that we can pray together. I think that's the other thing that's unique about mm. the daily office is by joining in these hours, we're joining our prayers with millions of other Christians around the world. 
Um, but we're also, many of these prayers are timeless, and we're joining our prayers with Christians throughout the ages. Um, so we're praying with the church, whether we're praying in a closet by ourselves or whether we're praying in a room with others. Um, the daily office is, is a real beautiful way to that roots us in regular rhythms of prayer, but it also connects us um, with the church and our prayers. No, I appreciate that. I, I grew up Catholic. And so when I was deployed with the army um, in Kuwait, one of the things that was really meaningful for me is knowing that when I went to mass on Sunday, my wife was also going to mass and we were hearing the same readings. Yes. And, and that was a way that we connected. I think a lot of, um, and, and here at restoration where I pastor now, like one of the, you know, we, we look more like a mainline, um, you know, contemporary worship center without, uh, without those kind of prayers that have stood the test of time. Mm -hmm. Um, Help me understand the gift that comes with knowing that, man, I'm praying the same prayers as John and Charles Wesley or as some of, you know, the saints that have gone before us. Yeah. I mean, again, we're joining our voices with the saints. Um, and and this is, you know, rather than trying to make it up on your own every time and kind of wing it, sling it, you know, you know, a lot of us, especially in the West, you know, we're used to kind of John Wayne Christianity, you know, just kind of make it up as you go. <laughs> um, and again, I'm all for innovation. I'm all for contemporary relevance, all of those things. However, I, I don't think it's an either or. I think that's from a from a church leader standpoint. Yeah. I think you can be rooted and relevant. I think you can be ancient and modern. Um, and that's kind of what I would advocate for. I'm not necessarily encouraging smells and bells and showing up on Sunday and all of a sudden, you know, burning incense. Um, what, what I'm saying is we can actually um, embrace elements of the great tradition of the church for today. And there is wisdom that has been passed on through the ages. Um, you know, core examples of this would be like the, the, the Apostles Nicene Creed. If you're going to plan a church, why create a new statement of faith when there's a state and there, are, there are essentially these creeds that Christians have affirmed that these are the core Christian doctrines throughout the ages, um, and it, it's multicultural. It's it's intergenerational. It uh, it has stood the test of time throughout the ages. These are documents that emerged in the ancient Near Eastern world. They were used all throughout. Um, you know, you know the proliferation of Christianity in Alexandria and Africa. Um, so recovering some of these things, I think, can really offer some helpful ways for us to to see how we belong to the church mm. and can bring unity among Christians, among different nationalities um, to say, hey, these are common prayers. These are things that we have in common. So, uh, so we're doing a sermon series right now on the Nicene Creed, as a matter of fact. We're, we're bringing this back into the church here at Restoration because um, one of the things that have God's really put on my heart lately is the difference between a historic faith and a cultural faith. Yes. Um, and, and I think that the cultural faith is becoming really dangerous um, yeah. be, because culture is really trying to speak into what we believe now more than ever before. Um, as you look at church planning and, and the work that you do, um, how... How do you, how do you, like, what are some of the keys? Like if you were going to plan a church tomorrow that to help stay relevant and rooted, like mm -hmm. are, are you in, in a worship service? Are you doing the Lord's prayer every week? Yeah. So that's a good question. So again, the work I do at Asbury, um, we work with all models. We work with, you know, all sorts of Pentecostal charismatic. Sure. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Now, so if you're saying me and kind of how I would do it and have done it, like we transitioned our church. Let me just kind of use that as a beta test. Or a oh, yeah. Study. Tell us about that. So um, our church, we planted a church on an island in the Outer Banks, North Carolina, which they call Sounds it. Sounds amazing. Yes. They call it the Outer Banks because it's out there. Like it's, you know, it's on an island. We were there, um, planted a surfer church. The Lord blessed it. Um, it grew. Dozens of people were coming to the faith. I've, I quickly struggled with how, what I was, what was I going to teach them? Mm. And I had made it through seminary and never really heard of the creeds. And for me, um, 
providentially somehow stumbled across a book on the Apostles' Creed. And I was like, this is brilliant. This is <laughs> the oldest statement of faith um, that Christians around the world have affirmed. It's essential. It doesn't get into secondary, you know, hoopla. Like, this is what can, this is what I can teach new believers, but also, you know, our ch- so many of our churches are made up of ex-Catholics or Baptists or ex-Mormons. You know, they're coming from all these different places. And the creeds, we can say, you know what? We're not reinventing our faith. This isn't some nationalistic, you know, politicized. This is what Christians have always believed. And so if I was planning a church again, and so I, I say that in retro, our church was a kind of non-denom surfer church that kind of became, um, we, we embraced elements of, of the liturgy. We started following loosely the church calendar. It started with um, a Good Friday going into Lent, um, Holy Week. It, we, we did a Good Friday service before Easter one year. Yeah. And our, our people loved it. Oh, that's awesome. And then the next year I kept pressing into, I said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do a Holy Week service. We're going to do Stations of the Cross. And then I discovered, wow, there's this thing called the church calendar, man. Like you can fast and pray for 40 days, you know, and Easter doesn't just show up, you know, and it was amazing. Like for me, it was life changing. It was like, wow, praise God. This here's a timeless discipleship pattern that we don't have to invent it. And I think as a pastor and a church planner, you're always winging it. You're always coming up with the next big thing, the next series. Well, guess what? There's a thing called the lectionary. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to wing it every week. There are these seasons of like, wow, there's Advent. You mean there's a whole season that happens, prepares you for Christmas? That's really cool. And there's scriptures that go along with it. And there's for families. Guess what? They're, they're, um, uh, you know, little practices that can take place in the home. And what I discovered was an ancient discipleship framework that has worked for mm. hundreds and hundreds of years. And this is how disciples have been made. I call it following Jesus through the church calendar. Okay. So, so in answer to your question, if I was planting a church freshly or transitioning a church, which I have, you know, start following loosely the church calendar you know, start with the two big rocks of what I would say, Advent and Christmas, Lent and Easter. That, yeah, and that's 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 what we do here typically. So yeah. I we always do Advent, we always do Lent because I don't know how to I don't know how to do Christmas or Easter without Advent or Lent. And, but that's the Catholic if, in me. <laughs> well, and then guess what? If you're a mild, mild charismatic church, there's a season called Pentecost. Right, right, right. <laughs> and the color's red. Hallelujah. You can get, you can actually follow the church here and be Pentecostal. Now, how long ago was the surfer church for you? Um, we planted it in 2005 and we were there for 10 years prior to coming to Asbury and the church is still there. Just celebrating. You now I, you're Anglican. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When so, did you become an Anglican priest? Correct. So again, what's funny is we transitioned this hippie surfer church. (laughs) If surfers can can do liturgy, anybody can do it. Um, Now, now I have so many questions about your story that we're going to dive into Uh, (laughs) because I want to know more about this Anglican uh, priest surfer church. Um, So are you guys doing contemporary music or hymns? Yes. So the answer is yes. And so essentially what happened, here's how it happened. I, I, I had, um, again, I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> kind of condense it. No, it's all good, man. That's what we're here for. <laughs> so, you know, I kind of was on this journey of recovery. We had started embracing these little elements and some of my, some of my dear friends from college, their church was a vineyard church that had become Anglican in Atlanta. And I, I ended up calling them and they were like, man, you got to come out here and see what the Lord's doing. And I flew down there, um, Trinity Anglican in Atlanta. It's a large Anglican church. It's, it's like a hipster Anglican church in Atlanta with like multiple sites and services. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And, and I remember Chris saying to me like, man, you've been splashing in these waters, your ministry, your whole ministry. And there comes a time where you ask the Lord, can I get in these waters? And so long story short, came back shared with our church board, hey, I feel like the Lord's calling me to be an Anglican minister. And the church was like, if you're going to be Anglican, shouldn't we be Anglican? 
And so we kind of went on a journey together. And, you know, there's only so far you can take surfers into kind of high church liturgy. And that was never the goal. Um, The goal was how can we be more sacramental, more faithful in our worship? um, So did you guys start doing the Eucharist every week? Yeah. I mean, we moved from more more infrequent to more frequent. I had two retired priests um, that had joined the church. Um, One was just they're, they still are just dear friends and mentors. One um, was a retired Episcopal priest. The other was a minister who just retired from Virginia, who was from the Church of England. And he would always let me know when I was doing things wrong. He'd be like, it's not proper procedure, man. <laughs> and like, yeah, thank you for that. And um, But so, yeah, so we began, what we ended up doing was we started an earlier high church service. And we use the, you know, a lot of churches will say one church, you know, um, multiple sites. Well, we were one church with, with two expressions. So we had a robed, you know, kind of high church service. And then our, you know, more contemporary was a blended, you know, where kind of, you know, very contemporary music, but we infused it with hymns. Uh, you know, the communion uh, was, was a little bit more informal, but we had the table. People would pray for each other as they come up to the table. And it was really brought together what I would call, um, I use the language of three streams of evangelical, charismatic, sacramental. And we tried to just kind of embody those different streams. And it was beautiful. Um, and so we had the more high church. And then several times a year, we would bring everyone together for kind of uh, what became a big community gathering, our Christmas Eve service was at mm. the Hilton. And it was a true, we would process in with robes, vestments, the the worship team just did all like traditional Christmas hymns, but it had a very um, kind of just a genuinely blended spirit filled atmosphere of high church um, you know, I'd preach, I'm a preacher, you know, I get excited, you know, I'll get happy clappy with you too, you know? Um, <laughs> so again, I, I think my thing is, and I, I'm not advocating, um, kind of cut and paste or kind of patchwork. I think there's deep theology behind the framework of, of the, the traditional liturgy. And that could be another podcast where, but essentially there's a fourfold structure that all, kind of the traditional liturgy follows. And Robert Weber would be someone who I'd recommend that's done a lot of work around this. And I actually talk about it in my Ever Ancient, Ever New book. I've got a chapter on this where the fourfold framework is you gather, there's a gathering, which is the worship. Usually there's a call to worship. You gather. The second um, part is the hearing of the word, um, the listening. We, we, we hear the word of God um, read. You have scripture readings, then you have the sermon then you have a confession. Usually um, uh, the creed will come in then. Um, then you'll have a transition to the third movement, which is the Lord's table, which is communion or feasting or feeding. Um, and so it kind of climaxes with the Lord's supper, the table. And then um, what I love about, I tell people it's the missional shape of the liturgy and that the fourth movement is the sending go you are sent the latin mass you know as an ex-catholic you know you remember the mass right. well the mass is called that coming from you know the latin misa meaning go you are sent and so the whole historic framework of the service builds to the sending of the people of god to go back out into the world on mission i'm interested to get your opinion on this and i don't mean it to sound negative but i don't know yeah. if it's Okay, so why um, do some high church experiences feel like a root canal? Like, because when I hear you describe that, I'm like, oh man, I, I <laughs> like want I want to, yeah, I want yeah. that, I want that, right? But but I yep. grew up and yep. um and and even participated in yeah. some 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 yep. liturgical worship some experiences awful. that were just uh, that felt like void of the Holy Spirit. Void well, of passion, yep. void of like anything that was relatable. And so when people come in to the contemporary church where we lead today, it, it's it's like, man, there's so much spirit here. What's the difference in spirit, I guess? Yeah. Or is it just the spirit? No, that's no, it's a great question. Um, again, you can the way I describe those three streams by themselves, 
can become their own kind of fundamentalism. Hmm. So um, ritualism, liturgy without the word. And so again, you have liberal kind of liturgical churches that, you know, they don't have the gospel anymore, but they got the liturgy and you go there and it's just dead. And, or if you've got um, the, the, you know, the liturgy without the spirit, then it's just ritualism. Hmm. Um, The evangelical, you know, without the spirit and liturgy kind of becomes kind of a, a conservative fundamentalism or legalism or some cr- weird Christian nationalism. And then the charismatic stream by itself becomes charismania, you know, and get, kind of gets out there and wacky. And, and so um, I think when you bring those together, the liturgy by itself, and let, let me just say this, liturgy alone will not form you. Um, I don't think the word alone will form you and the spirit alone won't form you. But I think when we bring these, hold these into tension and the churches that I've experienced that actually live into that tension, that's when the sweet spot happens. And I think that's what God's desire for the church is, um, is to be holistic um, and to embody these different streams in a, in a beautiful way. So you, you, you're, newest book living room liturgy is is really all about this idea that those concepts in your home um what how did god lead you to this place saying hey i need to give home worship some framework for Mm -hmm. good theology good practice and good spirit-led worship yeah i mean again a lot of this converged um from my own journey, um, I saw how, um, you know, I, again, had this faith in Jesus. I had the Bible and I was just telling people they needed to go pray. I needed, I needed that for myself. I needed a Mm. framework and that's where discovering stuff like the daily office. Well, as a pastor and a church planter leading a growing church, like one of the critical issues was how do families do discipleship in the home. Nobody's talking about this stuff. I I was a pastor kind of wrestling with it. So my last year um, in the church, I wrote a little book um, and I didn't publish it till I came to Asbury. I published it with um, Seedbeg called um, Grow at Home, A Beginner's Guide to Family Discipleship. So that I would say that is if you say, all right, you've written these different little liturgical resources, what, which, so think of that as like the foundational. It's, it's a little book. Um, churches buy those out, hand them out to families. And it really, the chapters are for fa- for parents. And then the end of the chapters have just grow at home sections, like how to read the Bible together, how to do family worship together, how to do mission together, how to follow the church year together. And it has like recommendations. And then um, this new living room liturgy um, that just came out was kind of, kind of the fruit of that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like trying to put together a little book for, and it's, it's more than a little book. It's a really nice um, hardback cloth, gold embossed cover living room liturgy. That's just designed to be just a really nice kind of a beautiful gift book that families can kind of leave on their coffee table and just use over the years. And what I did in that book was just put together a collection of just little mini liturgies, if you will, for ordinary times, difficult times. There's a whole section of difficult prayers for seasons and then prayers to follow the church year. So if a family, for instance, think in terms of like Advent rolls around and you're at the home and you're like, man, every year I was winging it with the Advent wreath in the house and having to pull (laughs) stuff offline well, selfishly, I just threw all that stuff in there and said, all right, here's a book that I can use for my family um, to give us a little liturgies. There's a little liturgy for a birthday. There's a liturgy for planting a tree. So there's ordinary stuff like that. But I also, um, I finished this up in the kind of the beginning of the whole pandemic in my yeah. closet. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, because now you you have three girls at home plus yeah plus that's your right. wife right so you're yeah. the only you're I'm the only yeah I'm mm. the one guy man and so praise the Lord working from home I was in a dark closet writing <laughs> this book <laughs> I would come out for afternoon tea that was like <laughs> and um 
but what's beautiful about it is it it pressed me to put liturgies in there that you know it, you know I grew through it was really profound you know like I you know some of the prayers are historic prayers but some of them I wrote you know like there's a prayer for you know a liturgy for difficult seasons and challenging times there's a liturgy for um, you know kind of justice um, that I put in there you know just so kind of the stuff we've been experiencing kind of in the timeliness of it allowed me to kind of put in things there that I felt were significant for the times that we're going through. So let's talk about that shift to at home worship, right? Yep. As a, as yep. a pastor and and you and I were kind of talking about this before we hit record is I, I don't think attendance is coming back anytime soon. The statistics say that we were averaging the average church attender was 1.6 times a month. My prediction post COVID if there, if yep. we ever get to post COVID, it <laughs> yeah. will come on. Um, <laughs> um, will be 0. 0.6. I think, I think the average person will come to church about once every six weeks and they will call themselves a regular attender. Yeah. Um, wh- wh- well, what are, what are the impacts of all that in, in, in the life of the body? Well, you know, the good, bad, and the ugly is, um, just what you just said. And, so I think, well, there's multiple things that I think. Um, one is, I think what it has revealed for most churches in the United States, um, if, if, you know, again, if that's your kind of listenership, probably pr- predominantly, you know, is... My sister in Germany listens every now and then, but that's okay. really about it. Everybody else well, is here in the U.S. <laughs> there you go. All right. For the sister in Germany, we'll say for those in Europe as well. Um, in the Western context, we have... Um, focused on the church gathered at the expense of the church scattered. Mm, tell me more about that. And you you do, and I'm, you know, you have the kind of the missional organic folk, and I, I do a lot of speaking in those realms, but I, I actually have a high ecclesiology. I like to gather as much as the next person. I like to hear. I, I mean, you can't be, I think it's hard to be liturgical <laughs> without me, without gathering, yep. right? Like you don't buy those vestments to wear around the house. That's right. And I do have the vestments. I, well, I, well yeah, you got to, yeah. I've seen your headshot. You got a, you got a priest <laughs> collar. I've seen it. Yep. Yep. So um, I I think one of the things that I think the Lord actually, again, it's a season of disruptive grace is how I'd kind of describe it. And I've Mm -hmm. heard it described where I think, you know, this is kind of just revealed fault lines that were already there and has revealed, you know, I imagine for millions of Christians in the United States um, that are just used to the Sunday morning show and going and, um, hearing a good sermon, waving at a few people, grabbing a donut, then leaving. That type of Christianity is not the future and it, it was not the past. Um, I think that was a modern, you know, kind of uh, expression of kind of modern evangelicalism. So let me just say this. I think the future, at least the near future, you know, one of the things that was helpful for me early on was Andy Crouch came out with a thing, which you probably heard where he said, hey, this COVID thing is either going to be a, um, a, a, a blizzard, a, a bad winter, or a mini ice age. And um, most, in probability, it will be a mini ice age. And most organizations and churches have no plans for this to be an ice age. Mm-hmm. 80% of, of nonprofits, churches, businesses will potentially go under like that. That was crazy. This has proven to be an ice age. And in an ice age, you have to, you can't just go out and grab food and come back. You have to actually rethink everything. Yeah. And, and what, what I would be doing, uh, the healthy churches that I'm seeing are thinking hybrid. They're thinking, and this is one of the things that has made quite honestly, Asbury so successful over the last few years we, we had the highest record enrollment this fall of the history of the school. And part of it is I think we do hybrid well. We do in person and we also do online. And I think I don't think it's an either or. I, I think if I was pastoring and leading, I would figure out how do you do how do you do online? How do you do live streaming? But how do you do micro discipleship? Yeah. 
And um, so, for instance, I'm in a band. Um, I'm in a Wesley band. Yeah, you know, which we talk is a about bands here all the time because I'm, okay. I'm in one too. I meet every Friday with my bandmates. Awesome. And we yeah, confess yeah. our sins and we laugh and cry together and it's beautiful. There, there you go. So, and again, so, you know, you're, you're coming from a Wesleyan frame. So I talk to like, I, I, I do like reform podcasts and, you know, a lot of people are like, what, what is a, you know, tell me about Wesley, you know, and that's the neat thing is there's, there's a huge interest right now in this among kind of non-Wesleyan people that are, which I'm so excited about because when this started, my band just went to Zoom. We have not missed a week uh, okay. of discipleship and formation since this started. And so each week, how is it with your soul? You know, what are you struggling with? What sins do you got? Like, we're man, we've been going after it. And that has been what I love about the bands is they're three to five. And I know I'm preaching the choir, but I'll, I'll preach anyway. You know, three to five, anyone can do them. There's no curriculum. It doesn't cost a dime. You can right. do them anywhere. You can do them in, you know, someone's backyard. You can do them at a bar. You can do them social distance. You can do them on Zoom. Like I would, I would do, I would just put all of my energy into how do I gather people and call them whatever you want. If you don't want to call them a band, call them a soul care group, call them a triad, call them, call them anything. Just Yeah. I mean, we're, we're getting ready to start class meetings here is our primary focus for yep. Um, for 2021, I, I just think building community. Um, I, I heard Kerry Newhoff talk about the idea that uh, community is going to be the number one currency of yeah. 2021. And the problem is, is that it won't be, and this is going to be hard for most churches, it won't be large communities. Yes. You, yep. you know what, what has never stopped meeting, what is still going like wildfire are the 12-step groups that we host in the church. Well, that's right. I mean, you can social distance these small groups. And I, I, you know, one of my friends who's a large church pastor who, um, you know, they had been doing kind of more liturgical sacramental stuff for a number of years. And right. I mean, this is a large church. They literally are revamping everything, staffing. Mm -hmm. He's like the hardest thing we're doing in this season isn't because we're losing money. We're actually having to let people go because we're realigning the staff around discipleship and small groups. Because uh, so we this believe is, that is this is my passion, right? Like I think that the the pruning of churches that's going to come as a result of this, yeah. to use your term, ice age, is going to be such a blessing to the church. Now it's going to hurt yeah. like hell. It's going to hurt like well, hell, right? That's like, right. I, I mean, the bishop here in West Ohio Conference, Bishop Palmer, suggested that there might be up to two hundred churches that don't make it through this. And, and part of me grieves that, and the other part of me celebrates it, and I, I find myself yep. in that tension. It's going to accelerate. Here's the thing. These churches were going to close anyway in the next 10 to 15 years, right. and, and many of them, sadly, need to close. And this is accelerating everything, and that's where, um, you know, I, sp you know, I, I, I work um, in, in England is a lot of the work that I do. Mm. I serve on the Center for Church Growth and Church Planning with um, Diocese of London. And um, one of the officials was telling me a week or two ago that out of the 400 something churches, potentially half of them will be closed within the next year or two. Wow, sir. Like I, I'm telling you, like there we we are in the middle of a tsunami, and nobody because it's spread out. We're distant. Like we will not see the impact of this. It is an ice age, and unless a church transitions, the, the, I, I jokingly say this, but I mean it. If you think by taking your you know, a janky service and doing it online that was already bad before <laughs> is doing online, is gonna you can't do what you were doing poorly before um and just do it online and expect people to put up with that mess. <laughs> I mean, I say that jokingly, but again, I think every church is a church plant right now. Every right. church is gonna have to rethink this stuff. And in some ways for the leaders that are willing to embrace the moment. I think it's a gift to cut all the baggage, all the stuff that wasn't working and is irrelevant and get back to discipleship. Only those churches that um, press into real discipleship, the currency of community, you know, those, those are the things, the formation, the, 
give people practices, give families stuff that they can do together in the home. If you want to keep families, you got to, you got to figure out how you're going to disciple kids in the midst of this. Um, So these are some of the ways that I'm thinking. Yeah. So as this podcast releases, we're heading into the Lenten season. I would curious, curious, uh, what are the things, um, you know, that you recommend for families to do, you know, liturgy wise or, or, you know, formation wise during the Lenten season that, that people can start implementing, you know, basically next week when, when Lent begins. Yeah. So um, again, from, from a family perspective, um, you know, two books that I would recommend um, is the, and they're both with Seedbed publishing seedbed books, seedbed.com is grow at home, um, has a whole chapter on how families can do the church year together. And there's a section of practices that families can do in the home, um, through the season of Lent. And so Mm. I would highly recommend that super accessible. The books, maybe, I mean, it's just a little book, you know, families can go through it together. It's, uh, I wrote it for families then the living room liturgy book is kind of like it has prayers for each week of Lent. It has uh, so it's less practices. So the grow at home is more practices. The liturgy, the living room liturgy book is actual prayers and just little mini liturgies. When I say liturgies, don't think you know wearing a robe. You have to wear a robe in the home. These are little one-page liturgies that families of all ages, shapes, and sizes. Maybe you're a couple and you don't have kids. This gives you something to use. Maybe you're a single, you know, um, and you're a single young adult living in a dorm. These, anyone can use these prayers is kind of my thing is I'll, I'll break it out and use it by myself. Um, throughout Christmas, we used it each week throughout Christmas and Advent. Um, you know, so th- this, you know, those two resources, one is kind of grow at homes practices for families and then the living room liturgy is like actual prayers and liturgies that you can use during the Lenten season. So kind of a both and. Now, what, what's happening in your what's happening in your house this Lenten season? What are you and the girls doing? Well, yeah, I, mean, yeah, yeah, like, I just I literally just took down the Christmas tree a couple of days. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, I guess dude, as we record this, do you guys? I mean, do you guys have any Lenten traditions? Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes we find ways to serve together. We look at um, things that we can do in terms of serving and giving back. Oftentimes as a family, we... Do you guys we, fast together at all? Yeah, I was, well, that's what I was going to say is that oftentimes we will kind of share like what is, what's something that you can kind of give up to grow mm. closer to the Lord this year. We, we use kind of the framework of like, what do you need to give up or what do you need to start? You know, maybe there's a new practice you need to press into and maybe you hadn't really been reading the Bible that regular. Maybe it's reading through a book of the Bible. So sometimes it's, sometimes it's giving something up, which, you know, I often will, you know, focus on giving up a particular something in area of my life. And, um, and then the other thing is like, what, what discipline do you need to like really um, kind of hone in during a season? Yeah. No, I think that's a, a good practice. Now, when, when you do, how old are your kids? Um, 16, 14, and 8. Oh, God bless you. Yeah. All girls. Yeah. I, so I have two boys and a princess. Okay. And uh, when she was born, I told the boys, hey, protect your sister, protect, you know, like super excited. I'm putty in her hands, all that jazz. And then now that she's eight, I'm like, mm. boys, protect yourself. I got nothing for you. Like I Shiloh's world and we're all just working in it. Yeah. So, uh, um, h- how do you, how do you navigate? Uh, I mean, we would, are your daughters really into liturgy too? I'm, I'm kind of curious. Yeah. I mean, again, when I say, when I say liturgy family homework, I mean, I'm not, this isn't smells and bells stuff. Yeah. This you is, guys are sitting around the yeah. table, basically um, saying the Lord's prayer together, maybe Lord's prayer, you know, we'll have scripture reading. Um, we'll, you know, again, I'm, I'm an ordained minister. So I know there's a whole argument, about, you know, like communion in the home and whatever. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do a little, you know, I'll kind of do the stuff, you know, presiding over the Lord's supper. Sure. You know? Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, usually, you I think know, they call that a fringe benefit. 
it is a fringe benefit of, <laughs> of being a, an ordained minister at home, worshiping at home in the middle of a pandemic. So, uh, but yeah, no, family worship for us is very simple. You know, it involves scriptures, prayers. Some of them are, you know, usually, usually they're from the heart. Um, and what's, what's stable is the Lord's Prayer. Um, and then usually a collect that kind of, that's what I like about a collect is it, it collects us. And which is kind of what the word kind of originally comes from. And in the early church, this was a prayer that would bring everyone together around the collect. And so we're collecting around a theme. So if you're like, hey, we're going to do a liturgy for a birthday. Well, there's a prayer that we're coming together around this particular prayer. So the collects of the seasons of the church year that are used on Sundays usually follow whatever that rhythm is. Got it. And, and those are kind of some of the things that you have, the resources that you have in, in, uh, in the book, living room liturgy, those kind of prayers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Good. Cause, uh, a true confession. First time I've ever heard that word, a colic. Is that what you Yeah. Mean? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As, as you said that, I thought, is he, is he saying calic? Like what happens when I can't get my hair down? Like it's maybe, like collect. Yeah. yeah. No, I, no, I appreciated together. the yeah. definition. Um, I, it's, yeah. Uh, and I love learning new words. So there you go. And so a both and, um, well, th- I mean, this has been so, so in- intriguing and, and so rich, uh, where I know my listeners are going to want to know more about you and the book. Where's the best place for them to find you on, on the interwebs? Yeah. So, um, the, the other book I will mention, um, it came out with Zondervan in um, 2019. It's it's Ever Ancient, Ever New, The Allure of Liturgy for a New Generation, where I actually interviewed hundreds of young adults across the U.S. that um, have come to embrace um, liturgy, Christian practices, discipleship. I think it's a hunger uh, for discipleship. I actually really believe we're in the middle. Of, I think there's a movement um I wouldn't say it's a great awakening, but I would say there is a movement of, of Christians, contemporary Christians that are just hungry for roots. They're hungry for practices and all the stuff we've been talking about. So I talk about that in the book. Uh, my personal website, winfieldbevins.com, kind of is a catch all. It's got, you know, all, you know, but most of my books are on there and some of the different things that I'm involved in. Um, Twitter, when, you know, Winfield Bevins, you know, is my Twitter handle. I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm also an artist. I do iconography. And oh, I've seen that. I, I follow you on Instagram. I was checking you out on Instagram. Yeah, and, yeah. And we'll link to all these things in the show notes. And so we'll make sure everybody has access to them. Um, again, such a rich conversation. I, I love the way you think about things. And I, I appreciate your, your bent towards all of this. Um, the last question I always love to ask people is it's an advice question uh, and, and it's about giving yourself one piece of advice, but I like to take people back to a particular moment in their story. And for you, what I'd really like to hear is if you could go back and talk to the, the pastor um, when you were in the middle of this great liturgical movement with the surfer church, if you could go back and talk to that younger version of yourself, what's the one piece of advice you're giving him? Yeah, I think um, as I look back um, and this, again, I, I, I do a lot of stuff around just soul care for leaders and pastors mm. and um, church planners. And, um, you know, if if I had it to do over again, I would I would have just stressed less. Um, and the Lord really the blessing when we left the church was the Lord just really showed me it was his church, not my church. And wow. I, I led oftentimes as if it was my church and if it all depended on me. And I, I just would have stressed less. I would have spent more time with my family. Um, I would have, you know, just done more, more stuff with the kids. And um, the last few years, I've really had that gift. And I think my eight-year-old, she, when she came along, it was really kind of like a gift to just say, hey, you know what, just be with your family in the evenings and a practice that I started a couple years ago. Uh, Cause I do write so much. And just a lot of what I do is on the computer is, you know, my computer is off at five o'clock. Hmm. Um, I, you know, I try to put up all screens. So when I, when I'm done, I'm done. And I'm, I'm there with my family afternoons. Like as soon as we get off, I'm literally it's, 
three o'clock my time, it's tea time. And I'm going to go up there and spend 30 minutes to an hour with my family, having afternoon tea um, and evenings, weekends. I just really try to make sure that if, if I'm off the clock and I'm not getting paid for this, I'm going to be with my family. I, and that's where I do a lot of my art, a lot of my thinking. Oh, that's great. Just creating space for reflection and thought um, is just so, so important. And the stuff we worry about as leaders, you know, most of that stuff just does, isn't even a big deal, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and it's like in, in, in a month or you'll forget about it. You know, yeah. in most crises that we face in reality, um, they aren't crises and we worry, we sweat the small stuff. And so I think that's, maybe that was a long answer to your question, but. Uh, uh, the long answers are what we love most around here because it, it uh, helps us dive a little bit deeper. And so I, I appreciate the answer. I appreciate you. I appreciate the generosity today. It was a, a, a great dialogue and, uh, and I thank you. And I, I just want to tell everybody go out and, and pick up, uh, pick up your copy of, of living room liturgy. As, as a matter of fact, as we were podcasting, I just, I ordered a uh, text message, my children's ministry director and said, Hey, I want you to pick up these two copies of the book. We can hand out to families at Lent. So if, you, if you're at register restoration, you may be getting a copy for Lent. So nice. <laughs> I appreciate it, Winfield. Great to be with you today. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for taking the time today to listen to Winfield and I talk about uh, living room liturgy. I love the way he talked about rhythms and holy habits, how to be rooted and relevant. Uh, you know, just such an important dialogue for so many of us, given how discombobulated our lives can be in this season as we enter kind of this post COVID slash what does the new world look like kind of discussion. Uh, I think uh, I think the conversation was helpful for me and I pray it was helpful for you. I'm thankful to be on this journey with you guys. As a reminder, hit that subscribe button, share this episode with a friend, and leave us a review on iTunes. It's all very super helpful. Um, I don't know how many other words I can say. Very super helpful. That's crazy, but you get the idea. Um, I'm trying to motivate you to do that. If you could, it would mean a lot. I do appreciate you. I appreciate you being on this journey with me. Appreciate uh, being a part of the Reclamation community. So thank you guys so much. Uh, next week on the podcast, Kate Werman, we're going to talk about uh, thank you for rejecting me. It's a great conversation. I think you're going to love it. I look forward to connecting with you guys real soon.